everyone. This is Charlie Lofton with the Grove Church, and welcome to our Cultivate podcast. Very glad that you are joining us. And we are in the middle. It's actually session seven of 12 of a series called Panorama of the Bible, where we have uh, borrowed some really great material from Fellowship Bible Church in Northwest Arkansas, from, developed by Dr. Robert Cup a very, very long time ago. Uh, first time I was exposed to it was I, mean, I was just out of college. So it has been. Um, 27, 28 years, the first time that I encountered this incredible material, which really kind of helps us understand the big picture story of the Bible and kind of understand the chronology of what's happened, happening in the Bible. Because I think very often, and we've been talking about this every session, and what, what, what happens is you start reading the Bible, and if you read it cover to cover, it's not arranged by chronology at all. I mean, it is to some degree, but really it's kind of arranged a lot more by genre than it is by chronology. And sometimes there are parts where stories get repeated a second time from one book to another. We don't know how that works. Um, We'll discover today that when we're talking about the kingdom of Israel, we need to make sure we really are clear what it's talking about because at different times, what the kingdom of Israel means, means two completely different things. And so for us to have kind of a big picture framework for the Bible and where all the pieces fit in can really help us. And again, especially as we are working our way through the Old Testament. And so this material breaks down the, um, the chronology or the, it breaks down the Bible into kind of 12 different sections. And so we'll catch up for you for uh, catch up kind of the, through the first six. Before we start number seven, but if this is the first one of these you've happened to catch and you're catching us here on the seventh part, I would really encourage you to hit stop and go back and go back to the very beginning and catch up through all the previous episodes. So we work our way through it. The first session or the first section of the, of the breakdown of the Bible is called the prologue. And so that's Genesis chapter one through 11. And in Genesis chapter one through 11, really you're kind of getting kind of the intro to the story. The main, the main thrust of the story doesn't really happen until you get to Genesis 12 with the story of Abraham. And what we get in this prologue in Genesis 1 through 11, really kind of the intro to the main characters, intro to kind of what the main theme of the big picture story of the Bible is. We learn about who God is, a very creative God, a God who loves his people. Um, we, we learn about people, And a special creation of God created in his image, loved very much by this God, but with a propensity towards sin and rebellion. And we see all throughout Genesis 1 through 11, just kind of these different stories of what happens when God's people fail in some way. What is is God's response to that? And we kind of are setting the theme for the whole Bible, which is what does God do with his people? when when they rebel, when they turn against him. And so this big picture thread that we'll see all throughout cover to cover in the scripture begins there in Genesis 1 chapter 11, which is God redeeming and restoring people back to him. So in the prologue, you got the creation story, you got Adam and Eve, you've got Cain and Abel, you've got the story of Noah and the flood, and it ends with the Tower of Babel. And again, each one of those stories kind of has this redemptive element to it where God's people will fail or fall in some way, and then God taking steps to judge and then restore them. So that's the prologue, Genesis 1 through 11. 
Uh, Section two is the patriarchs, which takes us all the way through the rest of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 through 50. And this is where God calls Abraham. And and it says he's, and this is where we get kind of the foundation. He's like the foundation of the, the Jewish people. He was kind of called by God to kind of create a tribe. He's like, I'm going to make you my people. So leave your father, leave your people. I'm going to take you to another place and I'm going to make you my people. And what we've talked about every time we've talked about this section is there's this part of the Old Testament that sometimes can be weird or bothersome or offensive, maybe even to us, where God talks about the Jewish people as his chosen people. And like it doesn't seem fair that God has a, a favorite group of people. But we live, they lived in a very tribal time where every tribe had their God and there was a lot of fights amongst tribes. And God, rather than choosing an existing tribe and making them his favorite, what he did was he chose Abraham and said, I'm going to create my tribe through you so that then I can bless you and show the whole world what it looks like when God is in someone's tribe and blesses a tribe. And so he didn't choose a tribe. He created a tribe for him. And again, in Abraham's call, it says, I'm going to bless you so that every tribe, every nation, every group of people can be blessed. So we start with the first patriarch, um, Abraham. He had a son, Isaac. The covenant passed on to him. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The younger one, Jacob, the covenant and the promise passed through to him. And then Jacob had 12 sons who ultimately became the heads of what become the 12 tribes of, of Israel, um, including Joseph being one of those. And so we have these 12 tribes that then become the foundation for the nation of Israel. And the story ends with, you know, if you know the story of Joseph, he's sold into slavery by his brothers, but ends up rising to incredible power in Egypt. And through that is able to save pretty much the whole region, um, including his own family from a famine. And, but at the end of that, rather than continuing to stay in the promised land, God's people, um, Jacob and his other sons moved to Egypt and live outside of God's promise and instead take residence in Egypt, which turns out to be a problem as they forget who Joseph is. And that is when the Israelites become enslaved, which moves us to section three, redemption and wanderings. And that's the rest of the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's where we find the people have now been enslaved, are enslaved for 400 years when God raises up Moses to come and deliver them. And we have the story of Moses coming to the Pharaoh, let my people go, and the 10 plagues that come from that, and Pharaoh finally releasing them, and they go, but Egypt changes their mind and goes after him, and Moses, uh, God parts the Red Sea and takes out the Egyptian army, they go to Mount Sinai, where they kind of renew their covenant with God. They get the Ten Commandments. The law starts to be given. They get all the way to the promised land, decide, oh, we're too scared. God judges them, says that they're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years while the next and God's going to give the next generation an opportunity to be faithful to him. And so that gets us all the way through the end of Deuteronomy, where um, we see the death of Moses. And they are on the verge of taking the promised land again, which gets us a section four conquest, which is the book of Joshua. Joshua takes over for Moses and they're on the verge of taking the promised land again, but this time are faithful to what God has called them to. They don't surrender to fear. 
and they do take, take possession again of the land that God has promised them. Then you get to section five. Uh, some people call it apostasy. Some people call it the sin cycle, redemption cycle. Basically, there's a cycle here in Judges. I think we called it the Judges cycle, right? Of We just see the story of God's people being faithful. But they turn away to false idols. God judges them. They repent. And then as they repent, God raises up someone to, to save them, to restore them from the enemy, from the judgment that God has put on them. And then they start to follow God again. And we see this kind of this story, this cycle all throughout the book of Judges. But at this point in Israel's history, they are not um, being governed by a king, but again, by these judges and prophets that God has placed in different, different parts of the country. But ultimately, the monarch, such as Israel has, is God himself. And then last time, section, section six, we have the kingship, united monarchy. So they ask for a king and... And Samuel, who was the kind of the lead prophet at the time, is like, man, you don't want this. Yes, we do. We want to be like other nations. He's like, no, you don't. He's like, well, but God says, hey, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. We're going to give them what they want. And so Saul becomes king. Saul is ultimately unfaithful to God. And God says, we're not going to let the kingdom pass to your, to your sons. We're going to, I'm going to anoint someone else to be king. And that becomes David. And David He's got lots of ups and downs, but ultimately, in his heart anyway, is faithful to God, even though he is making some bad decisions, some really bad decisions at times. And then ultimately, after he passes, there's a lot of battle for who's going to be the next king. And it ultimately passes to his son, Solomon. And so we have the three king, the first three kings of Israel, um, Saul, then David, and then David's son, Solomon. And so... In those books, we've got First and Second Samuel, the first part of Kings, First Kings, like one through eleven, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. All of those poetic books were written by either David or Solomon during that same period of time. But the kingdom of Israel really only lasted for three different kings. It was only a united kingdom for those three generations. And then ultimately, what is going to happen is after Solomon passes away, the kingdom is about to be split, which gives us to session seven, where we're at today, which is the kingship divided monarchy. So now the, king, the kingdom is about to be split into two. And this is a part where we can get a little confused sometimes, because when the, when the Old Testament is talking about Israel, 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 we, talk, we think about it as one country, and for Parts of the Old Testament it is, but during this section, during this part of Scripture, the kingdom is about to be split into two different kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom is going to be called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah, which is um, named that way because that is the tribe of David that ultimately kind of stayed with David and his line. I guess I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here. We're about to split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Israel being essentially all the tribes except Judah, and then the kingdom of Judah, which is one of the tribes of Israel. But to kind of get to the story, we need to recap a little bit. We've been, as we followed through David and Solomon, there's a couple of things that we noticed about them where they just weren't making the right kinds of decisions. They, they were making some, some really bad decisions sexually, where they were taking on multiple wives, um, 
the story of David and Bathsheba is, is particularly problematic for taking someone else's wife. And we just see just a, a lack of, like, for lack of a better way, it's like sexual immorality and polygamy and just a real unhealthy obsession with, with sex. And then it gets multiplied with Solomon. You read some of these, you read some of these descriptions. It says that he had upwards of 500 concubines, uh, people, women that were his wives, but then also people that weren't technically his wives, but still had the right to sleep with. It was just pretty offensive, pretty foul. And we just see just kind of the sexual immorality um, kind of overwhelming David and worse than in Solomon. And at the same time, we're seeing in both of them, just say a, a real power hungry mentality, a real power mentality of just like, rather than bringing peace, rather than trusting in God, rather than focusing on faithfulness of God, focusing on the acquisition of wealth and power. We see it a little bit in David. And then again, we see it a lot in Solomon. And so two different threads, two different stories, the story is told two different ways, one in first and second Kings and told differently in first and second Chronicles. We, um, we see these two very different threads that we're just kind of building as to why this kingdom is not going well. The sexual thread and then the wealth and power grab thread. So Solomon, again, being the third, the third king, he passes away. And the kingdom then is going to pass to his son, Rehoboam. And now things are going to get a little confusing. It might be a little better if we had visuals. We're going to talk about his son, Rehoboam which is different than the other guy that we're going to be talking about at the same time, Jeroboam, which is it's, it's just problematic. We got Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Jeroboam was, he's kind of, he was kind of the, the captain of Solomon's army. He was kind of a, a right-hand man, is kind of his best lieutenant, if you will, for Solomon. So we've got these two guys, and now um, Solomon has passed away. And I'll just, I'll just read this part from you, for you. Straight out of 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam, again, Solomon's son, went to Shechem for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, again, the lieutenant for Solomon, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. Again, a very long story. He said, bro, you just said he was his lieutenant. He's like, well, he got a little crossways. He's in Egypt. He's coming back, right? Okay. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him. So Jeroboam, who kind of got crossways with Solomon, is now being you know, very well respected there. And he kind of represents Israel and comes to this was supposed to be this coronation ceremony of Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son. And this is what they say to the potential new king. Verse four, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we, and we will serve you. So your dad was really harsh. He wore us out. He kind of enslaved us really so that we could build his fancy palace and we could build this temple for God. It was harsh. He was harsh. Hey, you be cool and we will love you and serve you forever. And it says, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father during his lifetime, how would you advise me? Verse seven, they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give a favorable answer, they will always be your servant. So the people who were closest to Solomon said, 
I kind of agree. I mean, he was kind of, Solomon was kind of rough. Um, if you'll be cool, they'll be cool, and you're going to be a great king, and they're going to love you, and everything's going to go well. But that's not the only people Rehoboam asked advice for. It says that Rehoboam rejected that advice, verse 8, and then consulted his buddies, which is just a bad idea. You're a young, naive king. You get advice from old dudes, and they give you good advice, and you're like, I don't like that advice. I'm going to go to my bros. I mean, good friends are one thing, but you know your buddies, they're not giving good advice, and they, they didn't either. What's your advice? He asked them. And the young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And so there's you know, a lot to unpack here, but essentially what they're saying is, Hey, listen, you tell them if you think my dad was bad, just wait till you see me. And then you get this horrible metaphor. It's like, he used to beat you with whips. I want to beat you with scorpions. I'm like, I wonder how that works, right? Scorpions are kind of small. Like, are you like, are you tying scorpions to the end of the whips? And then like you whip them with the whips and then the scorpion stings you. And then, I, then you die. I get, I don't know. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty vicious. And I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't acknowledge this other part that's in there where he says, you tell them that my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, which is a really weird, dumb kind of metaphor. Like, I mean, like, I mean, you kind of just say like, Hey man, I got, I got more strength and, and my little pinky than my father had in his waist. If you think, man, that's not exactly the metaphor that most people use to describe to compare the compare the pinky to the waist. And honestly, if, if you're thinking he probably meant something else, uh, you're right. So why don't we just say, I've got more manhood in my pinky than my dad had in his waist region. It's probably a, um, a, a better uh, metaphor. And so, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I say that not to be shocking, or provocative, but to just kind of get at just the the awfulness of what Rehoboam is about to say to the people that he means that he means to rule, because what I mean it is it is a it is a power hungry, awful sexual metaphor, and then also just you know I I will kill you with scorpions. And so he takes that to the people in answer to Jeroboam's and the people's question. And then what happens then is the kingdom is immediately split in two. Uh, civil war breaks out and Jeroboam becomes king in the north, the northern kingdom that is Israel. And Rehoboam, uh, David's grandson, Solomon's son, he becomes king in Jerusalem over the kingdom of what is about to be called Judah. And Judah is the tribe that Rehoboam, Solomon, David were all a part of. So this tribe remained loyal to David's family and Rehoboam reigns there in the south. So now we've got two kingdoms with two completely different lines. You got Jeroboam, the military guy in the north, and then Rehoboam, Solomon's son in the south in the kingdom of Judah. And so now as you read through the rest of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, different parts of 1 and 2 Chronicles as well, you'll notice you're reading through this and you're going to see over and over again, like we're going to talk about a new king. 
and so-and-so was king of Israel, and he was king of Israel while so-and-so was in his third year in the reign of Judah, and this is what this king was like, and this guy now became king in Judah while this guy was king in Israel, and he and then it, this is what his reign was like. And so as you're reading through this part, there's a, there's a few things that you're looking for. The first is, which of the two kingdoms are we talking about? Are we talking about the northern kingdom Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah? And the second thing that you're looking for is that they're going to be described one of two ways. They're going to be described as someone who had the same heart as David and therefore wanted to follow God and wanted to worship God, or do they reject David and essentially follow and worship idols? And a few things to note is that in the northern kingdom, there is never once described a king who had a good heart. Every kingdom in the north is described as being someone who rejects God and instead pursues idolatry in some way. And one of the main reasons for that is worship of God was established in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was there, um, the, 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 the rules, the, the temple, everything. Like Worship was designed to be there, but Jerusalem existed in the southern kingdom. So there was this pull in all of what was you know, united Israel back in the day. There is this pull to go to the temple of God and worship God there. But in order to keep people from wanting to go to the rival kingdom in the south, to prevent them from wanting to worship there, they would establish different sorts of altars, really different religions, to get people to worship gods up there that would pull them away from Jerusalem, pull them away from the temple of God. And so there was this pull in order to kind of maintain this distinct cultural um, kingdom identity in Israel from what was going on in Judah and Jerusalem. In order to do that, they promoted false gods and promoted worshiping idols. And so you're never going to see described uh, a king in the northern kingdom of Israel as being a king that really had was, was, was working to follow God in his heart. But as we're describing the kings in Judah, you will see back and forth, some good, some bad. And so that's kind of the thing that you'll take note of. And the way that they're described is whether or not they're good is the way that they responded to idols, um, you know, prosti- pro- temple prostitutes, and whether or not they believed and you know, would, would read the law and try to follow the law. And you, so you would see these kingdoms, these kings that would have great reforms and try to get the country back to worshiping God and faithfulness in God. And then they would cycle back to a bad king, a bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, and just back and forth, back and forth between these two kingdoms. And the kingdom in Israel in the north only lasted just a little bit over 200 years before they're going to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And the kingdom of Judah lasted a little bit longer than that, you know, about 370-ish years um, before it is taken into captivity by Babylon. And we will talk about that in section eight, where we talk about what it was like when these kingdoms were in exile. So we've got these different kingdoms, again, two different, two different, two different monarchies, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so what this is also going to help us with is when we are we make our way through the history books, we make our way through the literature books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, again, all pretty much written during the time of either David or Solomon or both. And then from that, we're going to end up in the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel, all these different, all these different um, um, prophets. And each one of these is going to start, and they're going to have they're going to have a preface where it's like, okay, and you know, and Hosea was a prophet, and it's going to tell you, and he was a prophet in Israel during the reign of this king. So unless it mentions that the king is um, David. Saul or Solomon, you're going to know that it's going to be a divided kingdom. So if it's in Israel, it's in the northern kingdom after it's already been split, or it's going to talk about Judah, which is the kingdom in the south. So it's going to reference a king, and it should also reference the kingdom. If it doesn't reference the kingdom, you can look it up and figure out which king this is, because then you can go back and reference in the historical books, okay, what's going on here? Okay, this guy is king in this kingdom. It's in the northern kingdom, must be a bad king. Well, it's in Judah. Is this a good king or a bad king that he's talking to? And it can allow you then on your own to place each one of the prophets in their proper historical context. And so it takes a little bit of extra work, but it's, it's way better than not even knowing who it is that we're, we're talking about. And a couple of them, Obadiah for one, is talking to Edom, which is a different kingdom entirely. And then if you know the story of Jonah and the whale, it was actually, he was sent as a prophet to get into another group of people in Nineveh. So there were some prophets that were sent outside of the Jewish people, but by and large, they're going to be divided into one of two places, either Israel in the north or Judah in the south. So again, the main thing that we're trying to do here is to make sure that we understand kind of where this fits into the Bible's big picture. And so as we're reading through Chronicles and Kings, we have the history. We understand that the kingdom is split around the time at the time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. No good kings in the north, some good kings in the south. And then as we're reading the prophetic literature about who Isaiah is talking to or about who Jeremiah is talking to, we can reference back to who these kings are and the historical context. Was it a good king? Was it a bad king? Was it in the south? Was it in the north? And can kind of help us piece all of this together. Because again, ultimately, the big picture reason for why we are doing this is to make sure that when we read the Bible, we understand what's happening and where and why. And so we are now just a little bit over halfway through this, and I encourage you to continue to come back to help us understand this big picture story that's going on through the Bible. Like I said, these two kingdoms are about to end, and they're about to be taken into captivity, which will lead us into section eight, where we talk about uh, life for the... Uh, the Jewish people in the exile. Uh, as always, thanks so much for joining us. Encourage you to come back. If you uh, if you are local here in Northwest Arkansas and you're not part of the Grove Church, we would love to meet you. You can find out everything you need to know about us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. If you are out of town, we would still love to connect with you some way. You can go to the same place. We are always streaming our second service and would love to see, meet, meet with you online if we can. So if whether you're here you're out of town, if there's any way that we can help you, serve you, please let us know. We would love to know who you are and help you any way that we can. Again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us.